Yeah. Merry Christmas. Well, I, I have to tell you, I, um, I'm so blessed to be with you. We had the first service, and they were kind of rowdy, but you guys seem to be even more so. I'm excited about this. Oh. Well, it's been, uh, it's been quite a year, and here we are at Christmas Eve. And I remember many years ago, um, I, I had given a message out of Isaiah 9 on a Christmas Eve service. And um, in Isaiah 9, it's the passage that says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and I had shared that, um, and I had gone into this idea that in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, people have walked in darkness, and they've seen a great light. And Jesus had quoted out of this Isaiah 9 in Matthew 4, and when he had quoted out of it, it's interesting because he had just gone through the temptations uh, of Satan, and and he had been offered the kingdoms of the world if he would bow down and worship Satan. Satan's interesting. He's one of those that, um, he's like the cheese in a mousetrap. He offers you something for free. And you go after that, that cheese is always free. And here we are. We, we don't so much want liberty as, as we want someone to take care of us. We want it to all go away. And then as you stand to worship the king of kings and you exercise this inalienable right to worship God, you're, you're vilified as though you're super spreaders. I mean, I, we, we've, we've lost loved ones to this COVID virus. And there's tragically been a little over 200 deaths in our county. But we don't, we don't know what the data is in the sense of pneumonia and influenza and all the things that they're putting in there. We, and it's, it's gotten to a point where it's a narrative. And our heartache is watching our community devastated by just the infringement of our ability to just live. And, and we love our neighbors. We've gone through this. We've taken time to explain this. And, and how... We're, we're, we're being pitted against one another. And the tragedy is, it doesn't need to be this way. We look up. It's Christmas. They already took away Easter. In most churches, but not ours. Amen. And they tried to take away Thanksgiving, and that, I, really, I had a great time. I know you all did as well. They're not taking away Christmas. Because Governor Newsom is the governor of California. But he is accountable, as all rulers on this earth are, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll share this last thing with you. Because uh, I'm so blessed by Pastor Rick. He... He was with me all week in Florida, and there was, we, he, he went through it on the live stream and shared with everybody what we were doing, and it was, it was a full week. We were all tired, um, and Rick said, you know, Rob, I'll, I'll take it. You, you rest this week, and, and bless his heart, and he's going to come out and share with you. I'll just share this one last thing. Um, 
I was thinking of Kim Ham, and he was the son of a guy by the name of Barzillai. You're like, so? <laughs> Barzillai was a man who took care of David when Absalom tried to steal his kingdom. And as he was leaving Jerusalem and everyone, Shimei, was throwing dirt on him and cussing him. And David was old, but it was Barzillai who took care of David. And of course, Absalom couldn't hold it. It all fell apart. David came back into the kingdom, sat on the throne. And he turned to Barzillai, this elderly man in his 80s, and he said, you know, you, you cared for me, and I want to bring you into the kingdom, and I want to care for you, and I, I want you to sit at the king's table. And Barzillai said, I'm old. My taste buds are gone. There's no luscious foods at your table that I even want. I, I just, I like my chair by the fireplace. I kind of want to just finish out life there. And he said, but you can do something for my son, Kim Ham. He says, all right. So David takes Kim Ham under his wing, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel 19. And, and this is the last part. This is the Christmas story. You've heard it came to pass in those days that there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So they all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And as we know, Joseph and Mary were in the lineage of David. That's where Christ comes from. Because the line of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah had to come through the line of David. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. And this is the the kicker. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And the last part is in uh, Jeremiah Jeremiah 41, the passage points out that there was an inn of Kimham. Same word is used. It's a dwelling place. There was only one inn. Bethlehem was like, it was just a, a, I don't even think it had a stoplight. It was such a small town. It had one hotel. And if you read in Jeremiah 41, it it was the inn of Kimham. Well, that's the ancestral home of David. David, according to Barzillai, took care of his son, Kim Ham, and he said, look, I'm going to give you my ancestral home. And he gave it to Kim Ham, and Kim Ham turned it into an inn. So when Jesus and Mary and Joseph come to that inn, that, that's, that's rightfully their ancestral home. There's no room for them. You go to your house at Christmas, they say you can't come in. You haven't had a COVID test. Whatever. I'm just kidding you. Look. Every one of you has been fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator. He endowed you with inalienable rights. But the greatest is the fact that he has the right to rule in your life. And when he does, he came that you might have life and life more abundant. And when you yield to him, you're blessed. And when you don't, you're enslaved. He's come to set the captives free. The folks have been walking in great darkness. They've seen a great light. And unto us a child is given. And Christ is knocking on the door of the inn of your life. And that's his ancestral home.
with all the hell that's encircling us and the misery we're facing. You want hope? Open the door. Let him in. And there's nothing that's going to stop the joy that he's going to pour into your life. And there'll be no weapon fashioned against you and no trial you won't be able to overcome as he sits on the throne of your life. Look, I'm at the tip of the spear. And and I got to tell you, if, if, if evil wants to rule and they want to come down and they want to go after someone, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they've got me on some list somewhere. And I have no fear because the door of the end of my heart has been opened to Jesus and I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. This Christmas, that's a gift I want you to have. Amen. Let's welcome Pastor Rick. He was taking my notes with him. That's what you call handicapping the next preacher, right? When they... That's all right, because he left his phone. <laughs> See this? It was a memo. Blue Smurf preachers today. Merry Christmas from the Smurf pastors. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, should be a cri- it should be a crime of how much fun we have. You should have saw the two of us when, we, when Rob, we talked about doing the, the striptease thing because of the judge's court order, and him and I got so wound up and excited <laughs> that the rest of the staff started getting just a little troubled. <laughs> <laughs> We, we told him, he's only taking off his tie. Well, hey, Merry Christmas. Welcome to those who are tuning in to our live stream or fireside chat. Great to be with you. We have the incredible joy and the hope of celebrating Jesus' birth, even though there might be edicts that tell us we can't gather, edicts that say we have to have a mask on so we can't smile at each other and just enjoy God's incredible goodness. But uh, as we are breaking all the rules as we seek to be obedient to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we want to look at a message here today, Disappointed by Christmas. Have you ever been disappointed at Christmas or by Christmas? We're going to look at the story of Joseph, who was a guy that was actually disappointed by the first Christmas because of tragic news that had reached his ears. But before we get to it, check it out. A picture's worth a thousand words. Have you ever had a Christmas that this is what it feels like to you? Is that how you describe your 2020 right there? How about this? <laughs> Disappointment. You know, I mean, there's some things necessary in life. When I grew up, we grew up rather poor. And so I knew I was going to have two things. I'm going to get two pairs of Wranglers. I'm going to get two shirts, package underwear, and a package of socks. So it was four. I saw I got four presents. And uh, my mom did the best she could. And you want to be thankful, right? It's, you know, I needed some new whitey tidies. Check it out. Next. Maybe this is your Christmas. It's my wife, my wife felt last week when we had our, our uh, grandson born. With an epic name that my children gave to him, Tiberius Gray Sprague. I mean, this young man is going to rock the world with that kind of name, right? 
And maybe that's your 2020. How about this? Courtesy smile. Courtesy. Oh, socks, wool socks for cold nights. Toaster. Thanks, honey. I like that. How about this? <laughs> Mom and dad invite their teenager to join the Christmas sweater crowd. He's thinking in his mind, as long as nobody that I know on the planet can see me, right? He might do it once, and then somehow it finds its way to the fireplace after that. How about this? She thought he could do better than that. He went to Home Depot and got her a Stanley tape measure. How about this? That's disgusting. How in the world did you think I would even like that? How about this guy? <laughs> I think that's the picture for 2020, don't you think? That's, we opened it up. We thought it was going to be an incredible year, and this is the way we feel. Last, finally, we find Joseph. That's the first Christmas for a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, when it comes to being used by God, there is an incredible dynamic that happens. It's a bit paradoxical. God blesses you to be the vessel and the instrument of his usefulness. But there's a burden that goes with it. Check it out. We're going to look at our message Disappointed by Christmas, I'm going to be reading, follow along up on the screen. We're going to read verses 18 through 25 here in Matthew chapter 1. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till they, she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. When you look at this passage of Scripture, it's easy for you and I to read through the Christmas story and just blow by it. We don't put ourselves in their sandals, put on their robes, so to speak, and really immerse yourself and soak into the reality of what was going on in Joseph's life. You see, when the whispers that reached his ears that the girl that his, his fiance, a betrothal, was so strong, it was a one-year engagement with no, obviously the wedding happened at the end of that year, but it was such a strong binding oath that you had to get in a divorce actually to break your engagement. That's how 
committed it was. And no doubt they had made that agreement because there was arranged marriage in their culture that they had agreed years before that these two were going to get married. Maybe it could be closer to the period of time, but in a small community, parents got together and they thought that the decision of marriage was too important to leave to young people so that they would take care of it. And so now the news, as the rumor mill works, and then eyes and evidence show, Mary is beginning to show. His fiance is pregnant. She's a teenager. She's in a robe, and it's hard to hide the baby bump. Right, ladies? You remember when the baby bump, that first child comes, and you get the, uh, uh, alas, <laughs> there's lots of humor, ladies. You must, you must agree. There's lots of humor that comes with the expansion of your body. It's a miracle machine that God created. But you start wearing the loose pants, and then by the end, in our day anyway, you got the stretchy thing that went all the way over your belly, right? And your belly button turns inside out and starts sticking out, and it's like waving at everybody. Hello, here's my belly button. You haven't ever seen it before. It was an innie before now. Now it's an outie, and it's sticking out there. So Joseph not only hears that, I mean, just imagine how disillusioned he was. If you are getting ready to walk down the aisle with your fiance and you found out, please pardon my crude statement, but that your bride-to-be was knocked up by another guy, how does that make you feel? Are you going to go through with it? I mean, are you really going to do that? Somebody else just got your bride pregnant, and she's going to have a baby bump on your wedding day, and you're not the father, right? So Joseph, he's tormented, his head in his hands, what do I do, what do I, wringing his hands, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And he's thinking to himself, because you see, if he comes out and just calls her on the carpet, what was the penalty for adultery in Israel? Stoning. Stoning. So he wants to put her away secretly. Put her away is another terminology for divorce. I'll marry her. I mean, I care about Mary, and though I feel betrayed, and maybe for you at this Christmas, there is a sense of betrayal that you feel. Maybe there's an intimate relationship that has let you down big time. And your heart and your soul is devastated. Right now, as we're sitting here celebrating Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I mean, you're sitting there because your heart is so sad, so sick, because of the betrayal that you're feeling. Last year, you were sitting here married, and now your spouse has walked out on you. It's Christmas. See, the pain of betrayal and the, the depth to which it really attacks our soul is so powerful And I know, as an adult, you've experienced that in varying degrees. But even with that being said, Joseph wants to protect Mary. He thinks, well, I'll just marry her. I'll I'll, I'll divorce her quietly. She won't be made a public example of. It says he was a just man. He really wanted to have compassion on her. He didn't want to throw stones at her. He didn't want to judge her. He didn't want to throw her underneath the bus because of her own human failure. And yet, in the midst of his confusion... Because there's really five thoughts that leap out of this passage to me. He's confused. Now we have the clarification. Isn't this beautiful? You ever just go to sleep 
and you are so totally turned upside down emotionally. You, you're tossing back and forth, and finally you crash, and you go out, and, and your mind stops working, and, and you stop talking. And then we see in verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He has to be asleep so God can speak in the quietness of his own soul by an angel whispering in his ear through a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. How is she pregnant? The Spirit of God did it. Now, I wonder if any teenagers ever tried that one. (laughs) Right? Come home. They do the pregnancy test. Mom, dad, I'm pregnant, but it's okay. Because the Holy Spirit did it. You think that's going to fly? Right? Even for Joseph, if an angel from heaven didn't deliver the message in his dream, do you think he's buying that? I mean, come on, you guys. The mental insanity of that if it wasn't true. But it is true. It's a supernatural conception as the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And so the clarity comes to him in the dream that, hey, God's doing something. God's birthing something in this relationship. God is working. And you, Joseph, and you, Mary, are going to be the vessels of God's work. But sometimes to be the vessels of God's work means to be misunderstood. Does it not? You ever been misunderstood because of your walk with God? These two were going to carry this burden their entire life. And this is the burden. This is the stigma was that they believed in their community. And for the rest of their marriage and the rest of Jesus' life, that he was an illegitimate son that was born from fornication. Most believe that in John 8, as Jesus is dialoguing back and forth with the Pharisees, and they say, we are not a son of fornication, that it was a direct link to the rumors that had chased Jesus for over 30 years. You're the result of fornication. You. Mary carried that burden and the stigma that she was unfaithful to her husband, and yet Joseph was such a stellar guy, he married you anyway and raised your kid even though it wasn't his. You see, sometimes to be used by God, we're so excited. The Bible says that Mary was the most blessed above all women. Wouldn't you say? If you could be the mom that bore the Savior of the world, talk about proud. It's not that your boy's going to Harvard. He's like, yeah, it's no big deal. My son's the Savior of the world. <laughs> God in human flesh. Everything you see, my, my son made it. He did it. I mean, think about it. Talk about bragging rights, but can you go around telling people, the Holy Spirit gave me this child. You're like, wacko. It was a burden to be a vessel. When I was a construction worker, I just loved Jesus. He had saved me such radical sin in my life. And those who are forgiven much, love much. So I was just head over heels in love with Jesus. And I would tell him in my prayers, I would say, Lord, I'll go anywhere for you. I'll do anything. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'm just so thankful to be forgiven. And I'm just a a Sunday school worker and, you know, just serving God. And then the Lord called me to be a preacher. And I'm like, eh, hold on. A preacher? A pastor? And then I surrendered to him because I wanted to be obedient. But, you know, to be a preacher as really a funny mantle. If you hear about 
some preacher on late night TV, how's he portrayed? TV program, how's the preacher portrayed? In a movie, how's he portrayed? As some nut job, right? And you go, well, that's just, you know, Hollywood and this and that. No, no, people think you're weird. They do. They don't know what to do. I try to be as human as I can to share with people the love of Christ before they find out I'm a pastor. Because as soon as I, as soon as I drop the P word, like this, the, this wall goes, they just change. They just, like, they're sitting there just talking very jovial, relaxed. They're dropping the F-bomb. They're doing all, and we're just talking to them. And I just love real, you know what I mean? I don't like plastic. And I'm talking to them because I'm not offended by, I mean, their life and who, I was like that. And so we're talking, and, and I'm trying to get to the place that I can share my story about Jesus. And then you go, and what do you do? I want to say that I'm a heart surgeon. I think that's true, don't you? You know, pastors are hearts. I think I could pull that off, like, how about just, uh, I'm an educator. Yes, I do that. I'm, uh, I'm an ambassador from heaven. Uh, any, <laughs> like anything you would want, and I tell them I'm a pastor, and then they just, their language start, and they get really spiritual. I mean, this heathen dog that just told me a filthy joke <laughs> gets really spiritual. Oh, you know, I have a great, great, uh, you know, aunt or something that was a missionary to Africa. I'm like, great, what's that got to do with anything? They just... One day, this guy, he was working on our, uh, we were building uh, multiple phases of a church project, and I walked up, and this guy, his name was Tony, and I'd been sharing with him, and he came, he was a crackhead, and his wife had been shot in the head by drug dealers. I mean, he had a radical story, and I'd been loving on Tony. I just loved Tony, and he had been in trouble with the cops just his whole life, and he, he had received Jesus, so he was coming to church, and he was really wanting to grow. And I walked up one day to the job site, and Tony had his cigarette in his hand. And I'm walking up, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to get to see hi to Tony. I don't care that he's got a cigarette in his hand. I'm walking up, and Tony sees me coming, and he freaks out. And he doesn't know what to do with the cigarette, and he just puts it in his pocket. <laughs> and I just walked up to him. I'm like, how long can he, before his britches start smoking? Like, how, how long is this going to And I just go up there, hey, Tony, what's up? Tell me about life. Start at birth. I'm going to see. <laughs> no, I let Tony off the hook. I'm like, I just smiled and I walked away. Our children, their, their, their friends didn't want to come to our house because you're the preacher. And, well, and, and it didn't help that my wife has this incredible thing called the word of knowledge. That God just implants information in her mind. And then she would just look at him and say, you've been doing this. And my son's friend says it. We're not getting close to your house at all because your mom's there and she'll be reading our mail. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, you just have to get comfortable. You know what? If I'm going to be a vessel for God, sometimes I don't get to choose what that means. And sometimes I'm just, I have to pay the price of just being misunderstood. And I'm okay with that because the bottom, at the end of the day, you guys, Jesus is worth it, isn't he? Jesus is, Jesus is worth it. Amen? So they're in this zone. This is what's going on for these two. He gets the clarification. It's the Holy Spirit. Then we have the culmination in verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The culmination of why Jesus came was to deliver people from the guilt and the shame and the separation of our sins from a holy God. He, he's going to come and save us from our sins. And s- sins simply mean to miss the mark of perfection. Uh, 
Anybody in the room, are you perfect? Please raise your hand because I want to meet you and I want to meet your wife and see if it's true. <laughs> right? In the first service, I actually had a couple hands go up. We had the mental health workers there for them afterwards. Right? They thought that. But to sin simply means to miss the mark of perfection. Right? We're, none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. We're all in this thing together. And so Jesus is going to come save us from that. Isn't that awesome? Because we're just clouded with our own burden of guilt and shame. Because we've, we know we've done wrong. You ever have that haunting, guilty conscience when I was growing up because I was very bad? When the, the intercom came on in the classroom, please send Rick Brown to the office. I would stand up and immediately in my mind's racing like, what did I do this week? Well, I did that, but I don't think anybody knows that yet. And I would just go through this whole long list. If I'm driving down the road, if I saw a cop, it's almost like I had an epilepsy fit. <laughs> because I immediately think, what's a, you know, is, there, is there drugs in the car? Is there out, what, what's, in the, what's in the vehicle? I just freak out. I must confess, I still freak out and take my foot off immediately, even if I'm not speeding. I see the cop, my wife always says, would you speed in? I said, it doesn't matter. (laughs) The guilty conscience. When you see the representative of law, because that representative of law shouts to you, you've missed the mark. You've missed the mark. So how do I come to grips with that as Jesus came to pay the price? Don't you realize all your sins have been paid for? You're the... The grief of who you are and the sorrow of the heartache of your own sin was all that shame was poured out on Jesus on the cross. So somebody did pay that price. Jesus came for that purpose. Check it out, though, the confirmation in verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So here's the confirmation, 700 years, he says, by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, God promised that I'm sending someone to save you from your sins. And this is going to be an incredible sign, because don't you think it's a radical, miraculous sign for a virgin who has never had intimate relationships with a man to bear a child? So the reality is that God said, this is going to happen. (laughs) It's never happened since. It never happened before. It's never happened since. And this is not only was he coming to save his people from their sins, you and I, from the guilt and shame of our sin and the ultimate penalty, eternity, separated from God, but he came to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He came to live inside of our hearts as the sanctuary of who he is. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Because you see, the radical thing is, is that at the deepest core of your being, you and I have a deep, deep loneliness for God. You know, here we are in a room full of people. And you may feel lonely right now. You feel lonely. You You just feel alone. And in this place of loneliness, you are longing for intimacy. Now, we seek to get it in relationships, right? People start dating each other, and as they begin to date each other, 
<laughs> they begin to lower the guard of who they are, and they're waiting for the point that they show who they are, and that person then responds in a negative way. And then they go, okay, that's as far as I can go with intimacy with this person because they're uncomfortable with really knowing me beyond that. Isn't it crazy? You and I, we live inside this carcass, this body. You live inside your own head, which can be a scary place sometimes, right? What if everybody in the room, right now you stood up here, what if everybody in this room could read your thoughts of every thought that went through your mind for the last week? You would break the hinge on that door getting out of here. Because the thoughts that go through your head, have you ever scare yourself? Sometimes I just startle myself. Like a thought goes through my mind, and I go, oh, that was terrifying. This is, it was just a thought, but it went through, and I don't want anything to do with the thought. It's like that old adage that I can't keep a bird from flying over my head, but I surely can keep it from making a nest in my hair, right, for it sticking around. But have you ever thought that no matter what you struggle with and who you are, and the secrecy, when you're alone, that God knows you, and he knows every thought before you even think it, and he loves you, and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to cleanse you, and he wants to make his home here, inside of you. You see, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ grace and truth to change your life. His presence, he's never gonna leave me or forsake me. When my little girl was afraid at night, you know, you have to go through the parental routine every single night. You put them in bed and they go, Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, I gotta go potty. Dad, you go through the whole list every night. And then, then finally you leave and you know that you've done everything. And then, Dad, I'm scared. So the only thing that would sweep away instantaneously my little girl's fears, I could leave the night light on, I could leave the door open, I could do, but when I just laid down in bed next to her with my presence, all of her fears evaporated because dad's here. Dad's going to take care of things. You see, the presence of Jesus is with us no matter what. And Jesus came to save us from our sins and to cleanse us wash us from our sins and the guilt and the shame that goes with it so we can be right with God. But he came to reside in us so I and the companionship I have with my soul with God, I never have to be alone again. And the loneliness of whatever I'm struggling with, whatever this Christmas loneliness that you're experiencing, Jesus is there. His presence, it can be available to you. Lastly, we see the cooperation in verse 24 and 25 when Joseph wakes up from this incredible sermon delivered by an angel in his sleep during a dream. Check it out. It says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So what does he do? It says, Joseph, Joseph woke up from his sleep, Maybe that's what we need to do here today. You've been sleeping, spiritually speaking. You've been in your own spiritual coma, doing your own thing. And that's really the definition of sin. We each have went astray, each going his own way. 
just doing what I want to do, irregardless of what God wants me to do. But Joseph wakes up from that state of his dream and the confusion of his heart. He has clarity. He realizes that Jesus is the culmination of all the prophecies of Scripture. He realizes that the confirmation that God is going to be with us, Emmanuel, and here it says the angel did as he commanded him. He married wife. He's, uh, Mary. He's no longer afraid to take her as his wife. And he's willing to take on the mantle of that embarrassment that this whole thing's going to cost the two of them. They're going to be a misunderstood young Jewish couple and their family is going to have a stigma and everything is going to look ugly from a worldly perspective, but they have the smile of heaven. And I think that the the dynamic that you have to finally get comfortable with if you're going to be a vessel of God, as long as I have the smile of heaven, I'm okay with the frown of the world. But I can have the smile of the world and the frown of God. That I won't tolerate. That I do not desire. So who's smiling on you? Who's smiling on you? Is it the smile of heaven that your heart longs for? Because ultimately, one day, I will stand before the creator of the universe. I will stand alone. And the people that I was worried about what they thought, my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, everybody, I was so worried about what they thought, and I was so worried about their frown, that I would never take the step of obedience simply to trust God. And even when I did, I didn't want the word out that I'd become a Christian. This guy that I led in a premarital counseling appointment, he was new to the church, he was Hans, he was, he was from Germany. And I see him about a year later, him and his new bride, we had done the whole wedding thing, and he was an engineer at a nuclear site, so there was a lot of uh, pressure uh, not to have any uh, spirituality. And I looked at him one day, and he's a real tall guy, he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and I said, Hans, how's it going, you know, in your relationship with Jesus? And shook his hand, and he looked at me, and he looked to the, you know, the right and the left, and he goes, nobody even knows. I thought, I'm the lousiest pastor on the planet. How in the world could he get the idea that this is like undercover, your Christian life is undercover? But he did. And he was so proud of himself. He kept it quiet all year long. <laughs> Going to heaven, not taking anybody with me. I rock. <laughs> you finally have to get comfortable with the frown of the world. Here, Joseph, he takes Mary. He said, I'm going to join her, both of us. We're going we're gonna to carry this ridicule through the rest of our life. But it's all right because pretty soon we're going to see the Lord face to face. Isn't it amazing how brief life is? In just a moment, brothers and sisters, we're going to be face to face with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it's your choice, man, what you want to do. As we wrap it up, I just want you to know that God in his incredible love, it's no accident that you're here. Maybe you haven't been in church in years. God in his providence brought you here to remind you of what you know so well, but you've just been putting it down and ignoring it, and that is God's love to forgive and cleanse you of all your sin and God's grace to come and make his home inside your heart. If you have his forgiveness and you have, if you have his presence, all the way through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the Lord said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. 
That's the answer. She's like a, a dad crawling in the bed with a little girl. You know, if you're afraid, I'm with you. But we're going to pray right now, and we're going to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never opened your heart by faith to Jesus. We just want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's not some rehearsed thing. It's not some magic one. It's simply you opening your heart by faith to pray. Let's pray right now. Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for your grace. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would draw men and women close to yourself right now in this moment. If you want to open your heart by faith to Jesus and have him wash away your sin, cleanse you of your guilt and shame, and make his home so that the loneliness of your soul would be evaporate in the light of his incredible intimacy and presence. Pray with me right now. Just open your heart. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin, my guilt, and my shame. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you shed your blood for me, that you conquered death and rose from the dead. You're alive, Jesus. And I ask that you'd make your home in my heart and my life. Empower me with your spirit to walk with you and to be your servant. In Jesus' name. sing Silent Night and as we light our candles so the ushers are going to walk down the aisles. You guys can stand up and they're going to light one at the end and you guys can pass the flame along. Yeah. Mm-hmm.